0: The most difficult thing is finding employment. The unemployment rate for ex offenders one year post release is 75%. Finding a job is the, the number one key ingredient in getting someone to successfully re enter into society.
1: Uh, with us is uh, Michael Swiger from True Freedom Ministries. He's the executive director. And um, Michael, tell us a little bit uh, about True Freedom Ministries. What is it? What do you guys do?
0: Yeah, True Freedom is a nonprofit organization. We're headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. We reach out to three major spheres. Uh, we do a homeless in the city of Cleveland. We do addiction recovery in the inner city of Cleveland. And we do prison ministry all across the state. Uh, True Freedom is the Ohio's largest prison ministry. We have 10 full-time staff, 150 volunteers. And when we're not locked down because of the COVID-19 crisis, we do over 200 services, classes, and programs every month in the state of Ohio. How many? 209.
1: Wow. Every... Wow. Wow. So you support and help homeless um, um, uh, people that have been incarcer- incarcerated and drug addicts. Correct. How long you've been with True Freedom? Uh, 14 years. 14 years. And and when did it start, True Freedom? 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Uh,
0: True Freedom grew out of uh, the Gospel House prison ministry, which was a local small prison ministry here in Cleveland that had been going on for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president of a millennia, Frank Sinito, was on the board of that uh, prison ministry. And he was on the board that brought me there uh, to come on staff. And then after we were working together there for a number of years, uh, we launched True Freedom and to do it on a much larger scale.
1: Got it. So uh, this is the first time that I've worked with an organization uh, such as True Freedom. Uh, I've worked in the past, obviously, typical college relations. You work with colleges or high school kids. This was my first time being exposed to... Frankly, an organization that is supporting a segment of the population that in most instances is being ignored. Um, and as I come into Millennia, this is, you know, in complete transparency, this is a passion for Frank Sinito, our CEO. Um, and he said, hey, I want you to work with True Freedom and see what we can do uh, in terms of employing some of these individuals. And frankly, uh, I was like, oh, okay, what is this? This is different. You know, never done it, um, and that's how I met you. And then, little by little, we started working together. Um, you know, prior to starting this recording and calling you, I was watching the video that you have on on your webpage, which, by the way, is very well done. And in terms of an overview of what you guys do, I think he hits all the main points. So, I took a couple of of of. of um, Not pieces of information, but questions that came up from that video. Um, So you know that you and I started talking primarily about those that have been incarcerated that are now reintroducing themselves to society. So in terms of that group, that segment, what is the biggest challenge those uh, leaving the prison system have when it comes to reintegrating themselves into society?
0: Yeah, the most difficult thing is finding employment. The unemployment rate for ex-offenders one year post-release is
1: 75%. Mm.
0: That number was from the last two or three years when the unemployment rate was almost zero nationwide. Uh-huh. So a safe place to live is, is always essential. Transportation is also essential. But finding a job is the, the number one key ingredient to getting someone to successfully reenter into society.
1: Let's talk a little bit about safe place to live first. Uh, what does that mean?
0: Most of the guys we work with um, come from very dysfunctional homes, Mm -hmm. you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the statistics say that over 80% uh, came from a a broken home. There was not two parents in the home. A lot of these guys lived um, in transient housing, bouncing from shelter to flop house to home. So getting a place that's stable and safe and drug-free is essential. Um, When people come home from prison, they have a lot of stressors and a lot of concerns that most people don't even think about. Mm. Uh, taking for granted. Yeah. Where a guy coming home, uh, I suspect, where you, when you go to sleep tonight, you're not going to be worried about somebody coming in and shooting you while you're sleeping. Well, a lot of the folks we work with, that's a, a real fear for them. So, having a home where they're not worrying about their own safety and their stability is essential. Mm. So, we work with folks before they come home to, to place them, always preferably with a family member who's okay. been investing in them while they've been gone, but if not, into a stable, Uh, Transitional Housing Center. We work with several around the state of Ohio.
1: Now, uh, before I move on to transportation, you work with these um, uh, individuals while they are in prison. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do in terms of working with them while they are inside.
0: Yeah, we do. um, We have two major silos of activities. Mm -hmm. On the one side, we do spiritually-based outreach. We do worship services, Bible studies, discipleship, mentorship, things that you would traditionally think of as prison ministry. Okay. But then we also do life skill training and workforce empowerment. So, on that side of the equation, we're doing uh, mentorship. We teach uh, computer skills Word, Excel, PowerPoint. We have installed a computer lab inside the prison system where we train guys in Microsoft uh, software before they get out of prison. We work with uh, guys on um, trade school training. So people who've gone through culinary arts classes while they've been in prison, guys who've gone through welding, painting, carpentry, we take those guys during their last 90 days of incarceration and we place them in externships, mm-hmm. the company that needs that type of skill set. For the employer, it's uh, they're not hiring the guys. It's an uh, externship. Like mm-hmm. they, In your world, would be college interns. Come on. They work for free to get world experience. Same thing, but our guys are coming out of prison. We transport them back and forth to the employer. Okay. So we'll be found if you can get a guy a job before he gets out of prison and he's able to be confident that he knows he can do the job. The employer's already got a chance to test drive him, so to speak, mm-hmm. and say he's to be a reliable employee. That unemployment rate drops down to almost zero.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So we'll talk about the employer side in just a moment because, you know, that was my main focus on getting uh, you on and talking to you, which is exposing um, uh, true ministries, true freedom ministries, and other organizations that are probably similar to employers and what employers can actually benefit from, but but they may be scared of of not knowing how to how to work through this. So they're working with you on the inside. They come out. Safe place to live is a challenge. Then you mentioned transportation. Of course, they're probably coming out. They don't have a car. Now they're relying on public tra- transportation. What happens in that front?
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things where we, we saw a huge need in the city of Cleveland and we stepped in to fill it. Uh, the public transportation system in Cleveland is terribly unreliable when it comes to people who work outside of the city itself. You can get to the outer belt suburbs, but it takes multiple bus transfers. Mm. Sometimes you have to walk some distances. I'll give you, a, for instance, uh, there's a shelter we work with on the on the west side of Cleveland called Laura's Home. It's in the city limits of Cleveland. Um, we have an employer, uh, I won't mention her name, on the <laughs> on the east side of Cleveland. Um, and we were trying to place people back and forth. To take public transportation, someone from the west side to the east side would have to transfer three buses wow. and walk over a mile between stops to get there. And it, and it commutes over two and a half hours. So no one is going to do that. Yeah. It's not – and then – That's under good circumstances, and our people have other challenges they're working with. So we launched an organization called True Freedom Enterprises that provides transportation to and from shelters and the prisons to take people to their work sites.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So, and then the last one that you said, obviously the biggest challenge is finding employment. Um, How much of the work of finding that employment is done prior to their release?
0: Uh, in the program we're running, we do that exclusively with the people we work with. Because mm-hmm. so nothing happens. If without a program like what we have in place, there's two major um, divides. On the ex-offender side, mm-hmm. he has a fear factor. He thinks he's not going to be accepted. He won't even try most cases. He won't engage. Um, a lot of times has low human capital, so he doesn't have much to offer, maybe nothing on his resume or very little uh, manual labor p- positions. On the employer side, and this is what you and I have talked about a lot over the years, there's a big fear factor yeah. when you're bringing in ex-offenders. Yep. Uh, part of the HR manager's job is to bring on talent while limiting the risk. Mm-hmm. So when I come with an ex-offender, the first thing is I have a risk that other people don't have.
1: Correct. So
0: HR managers are very tentative about that. Yeah. Rightfully so, because the numbers are outrageously huge. In Ohio, we have 50,000 people in prison. 21,000 get out every year. 6,000 come back to Cuyahoga County. So if you're an employer and you have no way of vetting out the people that's coming to you, uh, it's easier just to say no because it's safer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from
0: our side of things, while there's 50,000 people in the system, we work with hundreds. Only a couple dozen will qualify for our work release program that we've been invested in for a couple of years we oversee them during the transitional process, mm-hmm. so we, we better vetted them. The prison systems has vetted them. They've been trained, and then once they get hired, we stay with them for up to six months to a year post-release to make sure they've, they've integrated. So we put some guardrails around people that look like they're risky on the surface. Mm-hmm. which you find out is people who are very high performers who are just grateful for the opportunity.
1: And, and I will tell you, I I, I... – That piece of being grateful is the one that really touched my heart when we started having the conversation after uh, uh, Frank Sinito mentioned to me, hey, connect with with Michael and let's see what we can do. Um, Tell me about the the, the role that gratitude plays in the hearts and minds of these individuals.
0: Most of the people we deal with um, have never been treated with respect or kindness in their whole lives. Mm. We had a gentleman who was 24 years old, uh, a crafting correctional. He you know, had tattoos from his ears down. Um, he went to prison for um, selling drugs with his mother. He was getting high and using drugs with her while he was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. While he was in prison, she dies of an overdose. And he went through our program. And the day he got out, I drove him home from prison, and we stopped to get clothes at, at our facility. I think you're familiar with what we do. So um, he's going around with his duffel bag in this hardened – tattooed ex-offender, starts crying. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, no one's ever been kind to me before. Wow. So he was a gentleman that we were able to help place in a job with a company, uh, with bath, bath fitters, uh, one of the companies that do the bath fitting. And he was so grateful that they gave him a chance because we uh, we sponsored him. Uh, he became a very top performer for them. Mm. And those People who've been broken, who've never had an opportunity, have a great deal of loyalty for those people who, who reach out and give a helping hand.
1: So uh, I think about almost a year ago, maybe nine months ago, I don't recall his name, but there was a gentleman that came from Columbus who started – Not he doesn't have an organization like True Freedom, but he does employ people that have been released from prison – and he said they're they're the best placement that he has ever made because of that loyalty component. So let's talk a little bit then about the employer side, because as you said, you're probably your biggest challenge outside of finding them the housing, the transportation is finding them that employment because on one side, you know, this is, this is the, this is the funky part of society. We want those individuals to do better, right? Uh, recover, um, and re-enter society, but the same society then says to us, but if they do something, I'm going to hold you accountable. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> so yeah. you, here I am in a predicament as an employer saying, I want to help, but my liability is out there. Tell us a little bit of, about what you've encountered. What are some of the considerations as you partner with employers that you go through?
0: Yep. Um, You're absolutely right. Um, Certainly if an ex-offender does something wrong in the workplace, it's going to be news. Now unfortunately wrong things happen in the workplace every day.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: But when the ex-offender does it, it becomes much (laughs) more sensationalized. So uh, I sympathize with HR managers' fear of wanting to engage this part. However, there are certainly things that can be done that we're doing to try to limit that fear. Mm -hmm. So when we talk to Uh, Millennia or other companies, we try to come with a file that's almost like a dossier uh, giving all kind of uh, documentation to support uh, an evidential-based programming that there's been some behavior modification. So if we've had guys who had a a violent crime, in their file, there's going to be numerous programs on anger management, cage your rage, on uh, problem-solving skills to show that Whatever the underlying problem was has been programmed and dealt with over a long period of time. The Department of Corrections also uh, started this uh, on their own, separate from us. It's called a Certificate of Employability. Mm-hmm. They issue this, and it's very difficult to acquire if you're an ex-offender. You have to complete all of your trade school training. All of your uh, Each individual has a, a recovery plan they have to work through, mm-hmm. uh, and they have to have – excellent conduct reports and job evaluations over a course of several years. So it's a way for the prison system to be able to to come to give a document to an ex-offender that gives uh, and has to be approved by his sentencing judge as well. Okay. So that the employer gets a chance to say the prison system says he's, he's safe. His sentencing judge says he's safe and he's completed everything that was asked of him. Therefore, while there's still a risk, it's much more minimal.
1: Got it. And, and, and I guess it's a way for for the system to say to the employer in plain English, we're not going to hold you liable or accountable for something that happens, assuming that it's not something that the employer created by offering that certificate. Yes. Now, yep. obviously, True Freedom is here in Ohio. Uh, but I know that in conversations that we've had we, we've talked about other states Tell us a little bit about those employers that are listening that are not in Ohio. Um, what is out there is this certificate for example available in other states from what you know?
0: Uh, in the federal system it is okay now if you look in Ohio and um, I think almost every state in the in the country has a federal prison within them so usually you have m- both populations uh, that most employers will encounter there'll be state, prisoners and federal prisoners in the same jurisdiction. Uh, so the federal system has these certificates of employability. I know we certainly have in Ohio. Pennsylvania has it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond our contiguous states, I'm not sure.
1: So, you know, he we were 45, 60 days ago. You know, economy, very high. I am sure that um, this segment of the population became— Very popular because now employers are saying, Where do we find talent? And they start tapping into the prison ministry and to the prison or partnering with organizations such as True Freedom. Now, here we are uh, post coronavirus, um, millions unemployed. It may be a little bit too premature, but what have you heard? What has been the impact? to true freedom but more importantly these individuals that you're helping
0: yeah for us because of all the governmental restrictions uh, the prison system is still locked down so right now uh-huh. only, only essential employees are going in so we're not allowed to go in to do the programming
1: oh we're not wow to,
0: out to do uh, the job placements right now the each of those prisons are quarantined we do have a work crew coming out of a transitional housing center we're still working with because the employer is a medical company uh, that's considered essential mm-hmm. so now coming out as the, as the governor keeps announcing new phases of the rollout. We're not sure when we're going to have access to our prisoners for the work release program again. So we're that's still to be determined. What I expect to happen um, is there's going to be – when the labor market becomes bloated with all these unemployed people, HR managers become a lot more selective, and then people that I work with get marginalized. Got it. So That's why one of the things we try to do with this work release program – is give the employer a chance to have uh, an employee he doesn't have to pay for a number of months. Mm. Um, and this is, so you're an HR manager, you appreciate this. So if I come to you and say, hey, Gustavo, if I would give you six guys who you don't have to pay, they're not on your workers' comp, um, they'll be 100% drug-free, they'll get drug-tested once a week, and they'll get strip-shirts every day, they'll have a GPS monitor on, and I'll watch over them, and you can use them however you want for free. Is that interesting to you?
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Because we, we knew we had to make it a financial incentive to the employer to give our people a chance. And then give them, the, once they have the chance, earn their right to be kept. Mm. So that's, that's sort of the premise of our program is we'll come to an employer, give them a free labor pool, and I'll bring them to you. you I'm sure you appreciate this, your other HR managers who are listening, is entry-level positions have two big problems. They don't show up. And they sometimes have substance abuse problems. That's right. So if I can make sure they show up and they're clean when they get there, yeah. I've already dropped over 90% of the hurdles. That's then, right.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> the prison system drug tests everybody in our programs once a week. So we know they're staying clean. And we bring them to you whenever you want. We pick them up and take them back. So if I can do that for you, and not doesn't cost you anything for 90 days. It gives us a chance to compete with people out in the workforce.
1: It, is that already in place? So you guys do that yeah. already?
0: We do that right now.
1: What has been the feedback and reaction from employers?
0: We've had a great success. Just in your realm, we do. We have a, a crew that works at the Marble Room, a group of ladies who've gone through the Chopping for Change program. That's right. We've had about nine graduate in the last 18 months. Eight out of nine were hired immediately, and several have been promoted multiple times. So in the food service area, it's been phenomenal. We partnered with the American Preservation Builders. We have mm-hmm. a paint crew. Yep. And now we have two pain crews going. So at, to this point, we have I think a ninety-five percent retention rate for our people once they get hired upon release. So our retention rate for our candidates is much higher than the general population. Because it goes back to gratitude, and then some desperation because they yeah. you know if I lose this job, I may not get another chance.
1: Yeah. So you know so I, I tell you, I, I as i told you many times when we've spoken. I, I've been fascinated by this, you know. Fortunately, on my side, I haven't had anybody in my close family uh, had a brother who had a, 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 a drug addiction uh, was able to overcome it. Unfortunately, uh, passed away last year of medical conditions that he had. But I, I I remember meeting with an individual that you introduced me to that had spent I think it was twenty nine years in prison, and I looked at this individual and i couldn't help but see my brother right mm-hmm. my brother had not been to prison but he could have been that individual yeah. and my brother had a handicap and, and struggled because of the handicap i can only imagine him if he had gone to prison dealing with a handicap and then on top of that dealing with being you know having a tainted past that now nobody wants to touch you so yeah. You know, I'm glad that I was exposed to it because frankly, I never thought about it. I never thought about the fact that there is this segment of the population that is desperate for opportunities. And, um, you know, here we are two years later after I started with Millennia, you know, talking about what you guys are doing. Tell us a little bit about the type of jobs that tend to be where these individuals are placed.
0: Yeah. Now, typically, if guys who don't go through our program, they they shoot for the lowest possible jobs, landscaping, roofing, that's what you almost exclusively see guys go to. And I always tell the folks, don't sell yourself short. You've been trained, while you've been in prison, you've got an education to offer, shoot for as high as your education level lets you do that. So we try to find, and we sift through the guys very carefully to place them at their highest skill level. There are a lot of white-collar guys who are in prison. Mm. Ex-lawyers, former accountants, um, people who already who already have a pretty good education. And what I tell the folks: you may not be a lawyer again when you get out because your conviction pro- pro- uh, prohibits that. But there's a lot of small businesses who would would love to have a lawyer be their, their general manager because normally they could never afford that kind of talent um, if they had to pay for a guy who was not disbarred. So if I always try to tell the guys: you have skills, you have an education. Because you're, you're tainted, mm-hmm. you're going to take a lower compensation than you are used to. But once you get started, you can go as high as your talent you go. You but know, once, um, about that very thing. So a gentleman that I worked with was, um, before I went to prison, vice president of Federal Express, the Washington, D.C. office. Uh, he graduated from the Merchant Marine Academy. He, was, he had his own yacht. And his brother got him hooked up with some Colombians. And once a year, he would sail his yacht to Columbia and bring back seven tons of cocaine. And they would pay him $2 million to sail back and forth. He did this for a number of years. and' wow. ended up going to prison, got arrested, did federal prison, did state prison. So now he comes out. He had a very high-profile job, had a great education, and now he has this massive conviction. He got a job working for York Furnace as a purchasing agent, just the lowest-level purchasing job. Hmm. Worked his way up. Once he got started he started getting recruited from other companies.
1: Oh, wow. And because
0: he was recruited, they didn't do background checks because they wanted him.
1: Got it. Got when it. When he
0: retired, he was the procurement vice president of procurement for Apple in Silicon Valley, having been hired away from the company six times. <laughs> so, but he had to take a very low-level position. That course. He was overqualified for, but then his talent and his drive got him to the very top.
1: So – Again, this is just an area that just fascinates me because, uh, you know, you watch TV, you know, obviously you're probably familiar with the movie Shawshank Redemption, right? Yeah. Love the movie. How much do you deal with – if you remember the scene when when the older gentleman is released and ultimately kills himself because he just can't deal with society – how much do you deal with these individuals that are coming out, and, like you said, nobody has been kind to them, and they're just struggling being outside do you do you do you see that?
0: We do um, We have a meeting on Thursday nights uh, in the University of Cleveland, and it's a reentry program for people who've come home from prison who are going through the struggles of trying to reintegrate into a world they don't understand uh It's harder for the guys who are older um most of those folks have no technological skills. They've never been on a, a smartphone. They've never touched a computer before. And this world, moves very fast, and those guys have a hard time adjusting. So we have a meeting every week, and we've, we've kind of organize the groups around the length of time guys have served and, and their age. So they're around like-minded people mm-hmm. who are going through the struggles, and our group leaders are ex-offenders who have also successfully re-entered who can come alongside to explain, this first six months is going to be tough. You have to think through every situation, give yourself some slack, and then call me. So, And all of our facilitators are on their phone with their guys every week. But we see that quite a bit, where people get overwhelmed by society and mm. think it's, it's easier to go back. Wow. But that only lasts for about 90 days.
1: Once oh, you really? get past
0: the 90-day window, guys will start to decompress, and they'll start feeling like, okay, I can belong out here. I can make this work. But the first 90 days is critical.
1: Um. So we talked a little bit about what employers should consider. Um, what, tends, what do you tend to hear from employers as you introduce yourself and the possibilities of true freedom to them? What, what do you hear from them?
0: Uh, there's always um, certain classifications of felonies that employers don't want to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually are very open to somebody who's had a drug abuse charge or some type of um, nonviolent offense. But the first thing I usually hear is I don't want anybody who's had a crime of violence, any crime against a child. Um, I just want these lower level offenders. I certainly understand that. Yeah. There's, you know, there, there are more significant risks to people of higher degree felonies, but as you and I've talked in the past, it's very counterintuitive.
1: Yeah. I, I love this. By the way, I'm glad that you're going there because this is, this was a moment for me. Okay. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. It's, Um, the rate by which people go back to prison is called recidivism, and they measure it in three-year increments. So the national average is 70%. Three years post-release, 70% of people who got out of prison go back.
1: 70%.
0: Go back. It's a very large number. Except for people who've been convicted of murder. The recidivism rate nationally is 3%. Wow. (laughs) And it's not for another... Crime of murder is usually for a, some type of technical violation.
1: Mm-hmm. They had a hard
0: time adjusting, like we talked about earlier. So statistically, and from our experience, the absolute best people to hire is somebody who has a murder conviction. Wow! They don't go back to prison. They're the best behaved people in the system, and when they come out, they always uh, are very loyal to their employer, and they never have any trouble. And uh, not to we we'll certainly won't mention any names. We placed several guys with murder convictions in some of the different companies that you and I've worked with, and those guys have been very good producers.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's hard sell to an HR person to hear it, that.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, listen, it, it took it took it took me a while to process that. So, you know, so so murderers you would say is the top for employers to say no, but from a statistical standpoint, they're the safest. OK, yes. um, tell me about uh, who would be next.
0: Uh, then the next level down would be also uh, one first time offenses
1: mm-hmm. for
0: somebody that had a crime of passion, whatever it happened to be, whether it was an assault case because a guy got to a fight in the bar. And that's why when you and I have talked about um, background checks, you would be very specific about what happened. Yes. You know. As I've said before, I would much rather take a guy with a one-time assault case than a guy who has nine drug convictions.
1: Got it. Got
0: because it. Because that of behavior shows he's going to relapse, and if he does, he'll steal from you. So crimes of passion, and I love looking at one-time convictions, guys who did something terrible, and there's no excuse for what they've done, but they've learned from it, and then they've maintained uh, a stable, crime-free life for a substantial period of time.
1: Got it, and then and then what about people that have been involved in you know selling drugs, trafficking, um, perhaps even consuming it? What what's yeah. what's the data on that?
0: Yeah, people who are and it's it seems crazy too. A lot of drug dealers do not use drugs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And those guys also, uh, if they can get a job, don't reoffend. They have and I've I've had lots, I deal with this population quite a bit, is I always tell guys, believe it or not, you have a lot of real-world business experience. Yeah. Open-air pharmaceutical experience. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) would like to see that on a
1: resume, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: But you've had to do shipping and receiving. You've had to do um, workforce management because you had people working for you. Yep. You got to do some logistics, yeah. so you have some skill set that can transfer to a legitimate job. Yeah. If you learn, if you if you give yourself a chance, not to become impatient and try to make too much money. The problem with guys who've been drug dealers who were successful mm. is they made a lot of money. Yeah,
1: it's the money.
0: It's a hard thing. So, I've, and I've had this conversation with the guys where I get a guy. I had a guy who was a roofer. Now, you want to be on a roof in August, making twelve dollars an hour. And he said, "I can make a thousand dollars tonight," <laughs> and that, that temptation to go back to do what's easy yeah. is there. So, those are the guys. They, they, a lot of guys who were successful at it are bright. They have skill, but they, they, tend to be impatient.
1: So, you know what, 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 what do you do to then overcome those employers that say to you, "I can't hire a murderer, Michael. I just, I just, I just can't." Um, of course, I'm, su- I'm sure that at some point you obviously say agreed. I mean, it's you ultimately yep. have the last word. But what do you tell them outside of what you just described for me? Is there anything else that you were able to do?
0: Yeah, was, the first thing I'll say is, is that I hire them. I have two guys who work on our staff who have convictions of murder, mm-hmm. who are my best guys. Um, trustworthy, reliable, uh, hardworking, diligent. And they have a changed heart, a changed life. Because if you go back to the underlying reason for most murders, it's a crime of passion with circumstances that are so bizarre they would never reoccur. Uh-huh. So these are people who are pathological criminals. They've just done something very terrible under very extreme circumstances. Yeah. So I'll say, to the employer, I understand your reservation. I've hired them. I can give you testimonials from dozens of companies who've also hired them who will tell you it's their best guy.
1: So. Once you place these individuals, can you share a little bit of what you are able to do and how you work with the employers and the individuals being placed through other employment?
0: Yeah, we do conditional uh, terms of employment. We've done it with Millennia where part of their condition of continued employment is they have to have weekly contact with us in our meetings so that we're able to see how well they're progressing, especially for people who have a drug uh, history. I love to be able to make sure that I'm looking at this person in the eye every week and they're clean and sober. And one of the things we tell our folks that we work with is, if you start going off the track, I'll call your your job. Because when we make a referral and we co-sign yeah. for you, um, how you perform is a reflection on us. Yeah, and, I've done and I have done that. I've done it with you guys. Yep. So, yep. so I like telling the HR guy or lady who's working make a condition that they have to be at a meeting once a week with us. Um, for a one year on the job. yeah. And after one year, you can choose to put whatever conditions you want. But at one year, we do urine testing, certain employers are welcome to do that. But I love having weekly contact, and there's an extra level of accountability that most companies can't offer.
1: Correct, correct. So um, in looking at True Freedom Ministries, I realize that you also have a podcast. We do. Yeah, tell me about Moments in the Word.
0: Yeah, and that started uh, as a response to this COVID crisis uh-huh. because the prison system was locked down. We weren't able to go in, uh, and the chaplains who work at those facilities weren't able to keep up with uh, the religious services. Mm-hmm. So we proposed, um, I said, well, if we send you weekly, um, you know, weekly video cast messages, would, yeah. would that be helpful? And they said yes. So we started doing weekly three-minute uh, messages um, that has study guides we sent into the prisons, and then those loop in the prison system continuously. So we've been doing them now for uh, almost two months. And what we, surprisingly, <laughs> is that there's been very popular on this side of the fence. Oh, really? Uh, we, we we created them for the prison system. They started putting them on Facebook, put them on LinkedIn. Yeah. And on Facebook, we're getting thousands of hits on them. Really? Which is surprising. So here's what I've learned, Gustavo. As a public speaker, <laughs> I can keep someone's attention for three minutes. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 unfortunately you know even when i look at the statistics of 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 this show and what people are watching we all have some type of add we just don't like to watch for long periods of time so you know it's one of those things that so be it you know if you want to watch three minutes watch three minutes that's fine um but i saw that and, and and i found it interesting um So obviously we're still in this coronavirus lockdown. What what are you hoping to see as we get out of it? What would be beneficial to the organization, but more importantly, these individuals that you assist?
0: For us, I'd love to see a rapid recovery, you know, a very steep fee coming out of this. Yeah. So that instance, you know, I'd love to see the rumble room back to full staff immediately. Yeah, because the more people go back to work, the more opportunities are for the folks that I work with. They're not competing with higher level people. Mm-hmm. So a good economy is the best thing that can take place for our folks. Yeah. Uh, prior to the coronavirus, when there was like a, such a almost a zero unemployment rate, uh, our guys were getting a look by companies for jobs that would never have been considered two or three years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I get to the point where an employer really didn't care what you did; they could care what you could do.
1: Correct. Correct. Now, obviously, um, True Freedom Ministries is is religious based. Do do you work with organizations that are not not religious, right? Employers. Yep.
0: We do. In fact, that's why we form True Freedom Enterprises. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a separate organization. It's a separate 501c3. Separate board of directors, and it's specifically faith neutral. And it's tasked with workforce empowerment. So we do the pre-release education, the post-release job placement, the workforce transportation program. It's 100% faith neutral. So anybody who uh, qualifies for a program who are prisoners, whether they're Muslims, uh, Catholics, Protestants, atheists, as long as they meet the criteria, they're able to to enter the program. And as far as employers go, as long as an employer is interested in somebody who wants a second chance, who will work hard, it doesn't matter what their background is, uh, we're able to partner with them. So we've had no difficulty working with the offenders on one side or the employers on the other because of our sister organization.
1: Well, I, I would tell you in, in closing, um, I, I certainly uh, I'm lucky that I have someone like Michael so close here in Cleveland that I've been introduced to and I've been able to work with. You are top notch, absolutely a, a professional. You've been absolutely great throughout the entire two years that I've worked with Millennia and, and with you. Um I just hope that employers out there, particularly those HR peers, um, get lucky to find their Michael in their states or or their cities. Um, It's a population that can be productive. I certainly understand as the employer, as I told you from the get-go, I said, and I even told this to Frank and he completely understood, is it my job? is to protect the company find the best people possible but I also have a responsibility as the head of HR to limit any exposure and liability and these partners these organizations like True Freedom understand that it's a matter of figuring out what the best match is and and luckily we have a great match with True Freedom and I certainly hope that others out there do find it so uh, um, Michael I want to go ahead and close but as I always do at the end, is your opportunity to tell us anything that you didn't cover, anything that you're working on, and more importantly, anything that you want people to know about either you, True Freedoms, or anything in general.
0: Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, having other HR managers be able to consider our population is is, is essential. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a difficult hurdle to get past for a lot of people because uh, risk is something that's always going to be um, for an HR manager right in your face. But the partnership we've established and the employees we've been able to place uh, is a track record that we can go by. Um, your, your, your audience should know that I am an ex-offender. I spent 17 years in prison myself. So I understand the challenges our folks are going through. As an employer, I know what the difficulties of the hiring, making those decisions as well. So I, this is not something that's theoretical for me. It's something I've lived and continue to live so uh, I'm grateful for your partnership and your friendship and yep. look forward to working with you as soon as this coronavirus shutdown is over.
1: One question. How do you keep, you know, be, being an ex-offender yourself, right? And, and certainly now you have found your path. How do you keep your sanity? Because we as HR folks, we deal with day-to-day employee issues, right? Um, you name it. But you're dealing with individuals that have real difficulties. How, how do you keep your sanity
0: it's uh, i try to keep things very siloed
1: mm-hmm. um
0: early on when we first started doing the addiction recovery program uh, we've we've lost people from heroin overdoses and, you know you, you invest in people you work with them weekly daily and then they die and it's heartbreaking and i was doing a funeral for one of the guys who overdosed in our program in the inner city of cleveland and uh, i was walking into the church building and one of the pastors who, who volunteered with us looked at me and says i've never seen you not smile before hmm I said, Well, today's a hard day. Yeah. He said, But just think of how many more funerals there would have been if you guys weren't here. He says, Count the live ones, don't count the dead ones. Wow. So, you know, focusing on the victories is essential because our guys, when they do screw up, it's usually bad. Yeah. Um, we've had so many over the years, and it's always that one or two a month. They come out, they're grateful, they do well, they keep us going. And then for me, it's having a very firm foundation in my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that ultimately God's in control I can give somebody the opportunity whether they or not they succeed or fail or burn me in the process I have to just hand that to God and go to the next one.
1: Awesome. Michael, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate our partnership and the relationship we have we have built. I certainly remain a fan and I will continue to work not only with you but any other organization that it's put in front of us. Um, I appreciate your time very much, and I certainly look forward to the next time that we reconnect.
0: Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it, too.
1: All right. Have a good night, Michael. Take care. Good night. All righty.